0: So, again, we've started all three weeks like this, but this is what the Bible says. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. In fact, a verse like that uh, appears more than once. And so we're wrapping up this book in this Old Testament, this very, very sort of strange, profound, negative book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Many of you were here probably uh, two weeks ago and three weeks ago when we started this. But so we're wrapping it up tonight. And um, man, I'm telling you, I said this maybe the first week, when I was a junior in high school and I found this book and I was sitting in the basement of my house, which is where my room was, and I sort of had the basement all to myself, and I found this book, it was a breath of fresh air to me. And you go, wow, it's just so sort of dark and depressing, Brad. And yet, to me, it was like, I I could just be honest about life. And at the time, here's the deal, we had just moved two states away, and so I sort of had this fresh start. And so it was an exciting time. I feel like high school in general, there's sort of a lot going on. But for me, when you move to a new school, you can sort of become whoever you want to be. And so for me, it was very much a new start. And I thought any of the bad habits or things I had started to do that I didn't want to do, I could just stop doing those. I could stop saying certain things that I was prone to say, and I could sort of reinvent myself. Um, And yet I was always sort of going, what's the point of all this? Like school, day in and day out. And you live, and you get old, and I was seeing my grandparents, had, but two of my grandparents had died in middle school, and uh, somehow I found this book, and uh, even his quest, this teacher, Kohelet, was the word in uh, Hebrew. We said two weeks ago that that word in Hebrew, translated to Greek, is this word Ecclesiastes. So this book is essentially titled The Teacher. And he's, he's sort of down on everything, um, and yet he tries to find meaning, purpose, and pleasures and that doesn't work, and in wisdom, and in folly, and in work. I mean, what better thing? So pleasures, man, we all look for happiness, and satisfaction, and joy, and pleasure. Sometimes we go, I'm just going to be a fool. I'm just going to do stupid things that I know are wrong, because I think they're going to be fun. So we try um, folly, is the way the NIV puts it. We try wisdom. How many people do you know that are like incredibly smart, and they're so smart, they're almost too smart for their own good, but they sort of factor out, out of things, because they're like I'm just brilliant, and there's no way God could have done X, Y, or Z, and so they've tried wisdom, and, you know, to that even, maybe they go, I just still haven't found satisfaction in life. Or work. How many of you know somebody that's a workaholic and just goes, it is all about work, or work leads to money, and money's really the pleasure one, but, uh, so I read, I read, I remember sitting there in the basement, reading just chapters one and two, and going, wow, this book is amazing. But so here we are, we wanted to get to the conclusion tonight, but what's crazy is the book ends the way it begins. What I read to you tonight was not the first verse or the third verse, the second verse of chapter one, it was the eighth verse of chapter 12. And in fact, according to the way it's recorded, it's the last words of this teacher. So we've said throughout this series, the teacher's really sort of saying, what is life all about? Why are we here? What's the point of all this? But if you missed two weeks ago, this is so, I think this is so crucial that we've said um, the first, that when he keeps using this word meaningless, and we've said it's an okay translation, and who am I to argue the writers of at least the NIV translation? If you don't know, there's a whole lot of translations of the Bible. Why? Because, well, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew primarily, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And some of those words, there's just this this whole range of words that can mean that Greek word or that Hebrew word. But so if you miss this, I I think it's really important that it's not like the teacher is saying, I have done all of these thought experiments, and I have come to this authoritative conclusion, life is meaningless. That is not what he's saying. He's using this word we've talked about every week that's the word hevel, the Hebrew word hevel, and it just means smoke, we've said. It's a vapor. What he's really saying is, all of life is fleeting. It's so so short. You don't feel that now because you're all in high school and you're like, I feel like I've been young forever, and you can't you can't even imagine life at your parents' age right now. But life is so short. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It's hevel. Meaningless is sort of a. It's a decent translation. I prefer the ESV translation. English Standard Version says vanity, and we talked the first week about we don't really know what the word vanity means anymore either. But it's all in vain. He's sort of saying. Someday, we're all going to die. Everyone dies. And then everything that you've worked for is left to your kids. And that's great. Good for your kids. They have stuff now, but they're going to die someday. And so, like, what's all of this for? So, he's not saying he's concluded that it's meaningless. He's saying it's Hebel. And he also is saying many times life doesn't work the way we think it's going to work. I'm going to come back to this at the end of the talk if I have time. But Proverbs is a book of Proverbs. And so much of Proverbs is sort of like the way that life should generally work. And tons of pastors give sermons on the book of Proverbs. Most of you have not heard a sermon before from the book of Ecclesiastes, because most pastors just don't like to preach about Ecclesiastes, or Job, which is the other book in wisdom literature. Job is a very scary book. There's a lot of suffering in Job. Proverbs is the way that life should work. But get this, Proverbs even is not, not a book of promises. It's a book of Proverbs. So, that is the way that life should generally work. But if you only ever study the book of Proverbs and something goes terribly wrong in your life, um, your parents get divorced. You are diagnosed with some sort of uh, depression or anxiety or ADHD or or something that's even worse. Or you get in a freak car accident. We had that happen to a student, uh, in fact, two different students over the last five or six years. And just, like, everything stops. You can't play that sport anymore. Um, you start to go, I thought the Bible, I thought I, I, I believe in God, I thought my life was supposed to go pretty well. Ecclesiastes is sort of the counterpoint to the book of Proverbs and says sometimes life doesn't go that way. And so the teacher all over the place is saying, here's a righteous man who got what the wicked deserve, and here's a wicked man who gets what the righteous deserve. It's hevel. It's hevel. And so all this begs the question, so what is the point of life? What is the conclusion that the teacher or the author come to so turn with me in your Bibles to chapter twelve if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, and you're doing something else on it, open the Bible app and turn to chapter twelve. You could follow along; it'd be awesome. It'd be great. This is like this is what the whole book in my mind has been pointing to. And I told you the first week I gave you a homework assignment, and a couple of you, like five of you, maybe did that and you read chapter twelve. Have you? Does anybody go get a book and you always read the last chapter? like before you start the book. Does anybody do that? You read the ending first? Jen Oliver does. A couple people do. Sort of, you just want to know how it ends? So plenty of you have maybe already read part of this. Um, I'm going to skim, start with me, look with me at chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to skim the first half of the chapter. Remember from two weeks ago that there's actually two different authors here. Not authors, there's two different people sort of speaking. There's the teacher who's quoted throughout almost the whole book, but if you missed this two weeks ago, that teacher is not the author of the book. At the, in the very first verse, you sort of see the author introduced. These are the words of the teacher, and then we'll get there tonight, the second half of the last chapter, chapter 12. There's an author or a narrator, and they're sort of like bringing up all of this, this story of probably Solomon, probably the teacher was Solomon, but the author is not Solomon, I don't think. So, chapter 12, verse 1, the teacher sort of wraps it up like this. Remember your Creator. This isn't on the screen. I'm just going to skim a little bit. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember God. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before, I love this, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in these years, when you get old. And he goes on to say uh, in verses 2 really through 6 and 7, He starts talking about how your body starts to wear out and get old. Think of grandparents. He basically says, "Remember your Creator when life is still, um, when you're young and life is still good and your body's working properly." So, for example, uh, verse three: When the keepers of the house tremble, that's your hands, and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few. You can't chew things because your teeth fall out. Remember, this is like thousands of years ago when this is written that. That just happened. Your body would fall apart. They didn't have the medical resources we have today. And those looking through the windows grow dim, and your eye start, starts to go. So you just get old. And then verse 6, he says, Remember him, your creator, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Everything is meaningless. Or, hevel, hevel. It's just, it's all hevel. It's all fleeting. It's all passing by very, very quickly. You live and you grow a little bit and then you die. Everybody dies. But that's the end of the teacher's words. And then verse 9, the author sort of picks it up. And so we're, gonna, we're really going to land tonight in the time I have left in the second half of chapter 12. And the narrator, the author, gives some very important final thoughts. But look at this. Uh, starting at verse 9. So this will be on the screen. Not only was the teacher wise, says the author, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched, get this, this is, this is key. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The author has a very, very positive uh, stance on the teacher. Uh, this dude was a wordsmith, he was incredibly wise. He imparted knowledge to the people. And this was most likely Solomon. And the author was some guy later on that was sort of reflecting back on this, this Solomon-like figure or Solomon himself, um, says he was right. He was true. The teacher probably that word "hevel" because it was just the right word to communicate what this whole letter, this whole book was trying to communicate. He was a wordsmith. Uh, Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. What's a goad? What does that mean? He's saying the words of the wise are like goads. Goads were essentially a sharpened shepherd's staff, or most of the time they would take a shepherd's staff and put nails in the end of it. And so this is what a shepherd would use to sort of poke and prod and sort of guide the sheep, or a team of oxen in the field. And so it was sort of like, you know, cowboys wore spurs and you sometimes got to kick the animal or poke them with something to get them to do what you want them to do. Um, He says they're like goads, which of course our reaction should be like, ouch, like, is that what this is supposed to be about? The author's saying, yes, this is like, the the rise of Ecclesiastes, they're going to hurt a little bit. It's not necessarily going to bring you comfort. When you read this book, you maybe go, that's really sort of depressing, and yet the goal is just like a shepherd with sheep. You guys, have you heard this before? Sheep are really dumb. They're very dumb. Now, this is sort of maybe an insult to us. And God didn't make us dumb, but compared to God, we're like sheep. And he's the shepherd, and we're the sheep, and we just like to stray off the path. We like to abandon the flock. And I'm going to go over here. A goad might sort of hurt a little bit. You get stabbed with a nail on a dumb stick, and you go, ah, shepherd. Like, I sort of... I really don't like those rules that God puts. And now I feel guilty because I broke one. But the shepherd goes, if you just abandon the flock, you're going to die. Like you're going to get eaten by a wolf because you're all alone and the wolf has singled you out. you got to stay with the flock. And so the words of the wise are like goads. They're like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. In the book of John, I think chapter 10, I want you to read that tonight in small groups. So small group leaders, if you're listening... If you don't look up any of the rest of these verses on your talk sheet tonight, I want you to read these verses in John because Jesus refers to himself as the one shepherd. And I don't know if Jesus had in mind these last few verses in Ecclesiastes 12, but that's what the words of the wise are like. But then he says this, check this out, verse 12. uh, Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Can I get an amen on that one? Anyone? Of the making of books, there's just no end. I mean, think of Amazon today. Think of what an Amazon warehouse looks like or the Library of Congress. There is no end to making books. People write books about everything these days. But I think this is what he's actually saying in the context here. I think he's saying, like, don't take this too far. Like, all of this, I've made this grand case. I'm quoting all of this in fact, I was thinking of this this afternoon that perhaps the author, like the whole book of, the, of Ecclesiastes is all geared toward these, these final five verses, and maybe just maybe the author was using this entire story of the teacher as an illustration and was saying he has taken it far enough, um, meaningless, meaningless, and it's almost as if the author has brought us to the edge of a cliff and we're about to jump off because we're like all of life is Hevel, and he goes, no, no don't take it too far. Uh, there's more to life than just this. Much study wearies the body. So if you like philosophy, that's great. But don't, draw, don't take philosophy too far. There are so many philosophers out there, I think, who overanalyze every single thing. I know I have a couple atheist friends, and they see through everything so much so that they cannot see, that they face no reality. I talked to a buddy once who dismissed like half of history. Just goes, that dude, no, he never existed. Like did you know that's not even real? And I go, "Bro, it's in the history books. Like I'm pretty sure that happened." I go, "How did you know this seat was real before you came here today to this coffee shop? Like how did you know this chair would hold you up?" I mean, all, he just you just miss you go too far down some of these paths and you see through everything. If you start to see through everything, you can't see. So don't go too far down some of these roads. And I think the author's saying, "We've gone far enough." Here's the conclusion of the matter. So verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Remember this. This is an Israelite culture. This is probably an Israelite author. And this is before Christ. And he goes, Here's the whole point. Fear God. Keep his commandments. In which we all go, Oh yeah, like, yeah, okay. I sort of expected that. Like it took him a long time to get to this one place. Fear God. Like, don't be afraid of God. Most of the time in the Bible when it says that, many of you know this, it means revere God. Be in awe, stand in awe of who God is. That's what that word fear means. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Every single time even an angel appears to somebody in the Bible, what happens? They're terrified. Yes, they fall on their face. Mary, angel says, fear not, fear not, fear not. Uh, Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He's already ascended into heaven, so there's this great light. He's blinded. Everyone falls on their face. We will fear God. If God came down to this room tonight, we would all be absolutely terrified, right? And we might all die. I don't know. It would just, that would be crazy. What if that happened? So fear God, but it more means be in awe of God, have a reverence for God, and then obey Him. Obey Him. God knows the way life works best. He has all kinds of commandments, but what are God's, like, what does Jesus talk about the most in the New Testament? He says, love one another. He says, love your enemies. He says, do good to those who harm you, bless those who curse you. You guys know other world religion says to love your enemies. Then, in fact, if religion is going to do any good in this world, and it sort of doesn't, I mean, I'm always a fan of the gospel or a fan of, like, being a follower of Jesus and not just religion— man, if any world religion would make sense, it would be the one that teaches you to love your enemies and to do good to those that hurt you. That's what Jesus' commandments are. He just says, fear God and keep his commandments. Get this, this is the duty of all mankind. So again, that's where I go. Maybe the author, all he really wanted to say was these last two verses. But it took him all of this, all of this illustration, this whole story of the teacher to go, there was once this really, really smart guy who was crazy, filthy rich, And you know what he tried? He tried to find happiness in everything. And you know what he concluded? It's hell. It's just gone. So fear God and keep his commandments. But check this out. I guess first, what's the greatest commandment? You know, there's all kinds of commandments. Jesus, somebody came to him and said, what are the two great, or what's the greatest commandment? He said, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You guys, this is a great, I mean, this is almost like the Old Testament version of that. Fear God, obey the commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. But then check this, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And that's actually pretty good news to us too. We don't like the word judgment, but we do like the word justice. And so think about this in terms of justice. Everybody wants justice. I want justice for myself and I want judgment for other people. And you guys sort of get that. We don't. We don't. Want, no, we're like I don't want to be judged, but I do want justice for people that have wronged me. But those are basically synonyms. God will bring every deed to justice, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So what? God, what is he saying in the context here? He's saying if life is hevel, God will someday make right all of the hevelness of life, all of the crazy, meaningless stuff, all of the tragedies, all of the paradoxes when why did you get in that car accident and you shouldn't have because you're a good person or whatever it is I maybe mean, somehow god's going to make it right and we're going to be accountable to him so what's the conclusion it's that god is god and as it says i think in romans 9 the potter the pot should not say to the potter why did you make me like this right and a pot shouldn't be talking to begin with but the pot shouldn't say to the potter. Like, we are not, we should not, we're so quick to think we're God and to blame God. The creation should not say to the creator, why is it this way? But God is God, and we should revere him, and we should obey him. And many times, yes, this world is fleeting, but God says, do life my way. Make make me your God and your Savior. I am trustworthy. Yes, crazy things will happen to you at times. But I will be with you the whole way. You know, I said the first week I brought up the myth of religious fulfillment. You guys, I hope you get that Jesus does make a difference in your life, but most of that's internal. You have hope. If you're a Christian, hopefully you have hope about eternal life, that you begin to have an inner peace, and hopefully you start to want things that God wants. John Alford here on staff would always say, our wanter is broken, and so we want things that we shouldn't want because our wanter is broken. But when you become a Christian, hopefully over more and more, you want the right things. You want good things. I'm telling you, there's a lot of internal, like, good things that being a Christian brings. But man, you're, you're still in this world. And because we're in a broken, sinful world, all kinds of tragedies still may happen to you. And so I brought this up the first week, but God does not promise us an easy life. And he never says, like, life is just going to go all, it's going to be a piece of cake for you. And so we shouldn't expect that out of life, but he's always going to be faithful to us. Um, I don't have time to bring up these last couple things. I wanted to go, why is this book in the Bible? There's three wisdom books, and maybe sometime Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. All three sort of bring a different perspective, and they sort of play off of each other. But so remember that sometimes life is not going to work the way you want it to work or you think it'll work. or it It doesn't always work the way that Proverbs lays it out for you. And Ecclesiastes and Job sort of bring up this other perspective. And so, man, as a youth pastor and as your leaders, I, I wouldn't, we have to prepare you for suffering in this life. And so I don't know what that is or what that's going to be for you, but there are going to be times where, like, Job, your, life, your family's going to blow up. Your life's going to blow up. And I want you to not, like, chuck your faith and blow off everything because God is still, he's going to be faithful to you. All right? I'm past time, so let me pray. Father God, um, thank you for this timeless, timeless book of the Bible that has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years. And Lord, we get to the end, and the author just very simply says in one verse, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we're here for. And so God, remind us of that. God, help us to deal with the, the heaviness of life, because it's a reality for all of us. And God, I thank you for books like this that allow us to be honest about our faith and that allow us to be brutally honest about life itself in the hard questions and the doubts we have. Because God, those are real. And there's times where we're not going to be able to answer every doubt that we have or have every question answered. But God, I think you you allow space for that. Um, So God, thank you for books like Ecclesiastes. And God, allow us to know what to do and how to apply this and how to live out the wisdom of the teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.